Alright, remain standing and we will recite our verse that's brand new for the month. So uh, I'm cheating off of a card here, um, but we won't have to cheat for long because we'll have it memorized in just a few days, right? So, our new verse is Ephesians 2.13, which says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Awesome. You guys can be seated. Make sure before you leave um, to pick up one of the cards. It's got uh, a devotional on the back. Uh, get a keychain and some temporary tattoos. And uh, as we do every single month, um, let's memorize that together. So uh, let me take care of a couple of announcements here. First and foremost, we want to say a huge congratulations to the Kiefer family. Um, you guys probably saw on Facebook that... Uh, on uh, April 1st at 11.38, Leyland Walter Leon Kiefer was born, 7 pounds, 7 ounces, nearly 20 inches long. Everyone is doing healthy and well. So Kiefer's, we love you guys. Congratulations. It's awesome. We're going to grow this church one way or another, right? So, uh, announcement number two. Um, as you guys know... Easter is in just two weeks. So two weeks from today, we'll be having our Easter service. And on the back table, I have printed off some of these invitation cards. Okay, so before you leave, I want you to take a bunch of these with you. There's a hundred of them back there. If I have to print out more, I am happy to do that. Over the next couple of weeks, I want you to take these and start giving them out to people, left and right. Um, people that... Hopefully you have been praying for this whole time, people in your oikos. Perfect time to hand these invitations out. Statistics tell us that people are more likely to accept an invitation to go to church on Easter than any other Sunday throughout the entire year. We still have it wired in our brains here in the West that you are supposed to go to church on Easter Sunday. And so there's a great opportunity for you to invite those people that you've been praying for and ministering to. It's also a great opportunity for you to invite anyone, literally any person who is real, invite them. Um, so we're planning on doing an Easter egg hunt at 3.30 before the service. So that'll take place right out here. Um, so that'll be a great activity for the kids. And then be aware, uh, since it's Easter, that uh, your kids can then binge on that candy during the service as we will not be having any nursery running during the Easter, Easter service. Um, we want to give everybody an opportunity to be in service on Easter. So, uh, Easter egg hunt, 3.30, service at 4, no nursery that day. Invite, 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 okay? Um, you will also find the digital version of this invitation on Facebook. Um, download it and start texting it to people, email it to people, fax it to people, whatever works, okay? 
Believe it or not, fax machines are still a thing. I found that out this week. I had no idea. Uh, share it on your social media. Tag people on social media. Send it in DMs, whatever you have to do. Okay, we've got two weeks. So invite, 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 invite. Most importantly in this is to pray. Okay, pray for opportunities to have conversations with people. Pray for people to be receptive to uh, receiving this invitation. Pray that God will work on their hearts. Pray that God will prepare them to receive this. Prepare them to hear the gospel when they come with you to church. Hopefully, again, you've been praying for these people in your oikos this entire time. So, ramp that up over the next two weeks. Invite, invite, invite. What are you supposed to do? Invite. That's right. So grab some of those on your way out. All right. Um, Anne Fernald, the professor of psychology at Stanford University, says that sound is touch at a distance. To clarify how this is the case, a neuroscientist named John Lehrer explains that sound is just waves of vibrating air. And this, these waves of vibrating air, he says, travel through space and time, enter into the ear, and those waves of diffused vibrating air focus and channel in on the eardrum, which vibrates a few very small bones. And those little bones transmit the vibration into a salty area in the inner ear where these little hairs are. And he says these hair cells are fascinating. They become active, literally bent like a wave. They bend like trees in a breeze. And so then this touch of sound in the inner ear is transformed into a neural message. And that neural message gets sent to the brain. And the brain processes and categorizes that message into a sound. Pretty crazy how God designed this whole thing, right? The number of steps that it takes for some touch of air to be interpreted into our brains as sound, that's astounding. But at that point, the process has only just begun. Because from there, our brains actually take those sounds and then they turn those sounds into messages, into emotions. When the brain first experiences a particular sound. It then stores that sound as sensory information in the auditory cortex. And it's stored there, bundled together with any accompanying emotional information that was processed at the same time as that sound. So then every time that sound enters your ear, the auditory bundle of information activates and elicits an emotional response. So, one particular study found six specific ways that this happens. The first is a brainstem reflex. This occurs when a sound has been stored in the brain as a danger response. So, for example, last night our family was in the living room watching a family movie together. We had all the lights off and we're sitting there on the couch and out of nowhere we hear this loud crash in the dining room. The dogs are in the room with us so we know there's nothing and no one that should be in the dining room and we hear this loud crash. And so then immediately with predetermined brainstem reflexes we all respond. 
Eli and Marisol jump up onto the couch and shout. I very lazily look up and say, what was that? Allison pushes my head off her lap and says, go check right now. <laughs> we all responded immediately. The brainstem reflex helps people to sense danger and react quickly, unless you're me and you haven't slept in days. Second is evaluative conditioning. And this is the process of associating specific sounds with specific experiences, whether positively or negatively. And so a positive experience will bundle those sounds together with positive emotions. And when that sound is heard, it floods the brain with dopamine. A negative uh, experience will bundle together those sounds with sadness, with fear, with anxiety, perhaps symptoms of PTSD. Whenever I hear the song, Kiss Me Through the Phone by Soldier Boy, it brings me back to my wedding day, where Allison and I danced to that song at our reception. It brings me back further to when we were dating, and we'd be driving in the car, and that song would come on the radio, and we would do this choreographed dance together. No, I will not be performing that for you today. I'm just telling you about what I remember, okay? I hear that song, and it immediately makes me nostalgic. It makes me happy. So I set it as Allison's ringtone so that I can hear Kiss Me Through the Phone by Soldier Boy every single day. On the flip side, for a negative experience, whenever I hear the sound of crashing waves, I think about the day that my dad died. Because a, a massive cliff and a massive wave were involved in that experience. And so, unlike most people who feel feelings of happiness and relaxation when they hear waves, I feel sadness when I hear waves. A third way that the brain turns sounds into emotions is through what's called emotional contagion. Research from the 1990s suggests that the brain contains what are called mirror neurons. And these mirror neurons are activated when you are doing something simultaneously with another person. And so your brain attempts to mirror what your senses are observing that person doing. Someone else's experience then becomes your own. So, for example, uh, when someone is sharing a story with you and they are either laughing or they are crying, you also may laugh or cry. If someone's telling you a funny story without even thinking about it, you'll find yourself smiling, laughing along with their story. So your brain takes the happy sounds or the sad sounds that somebody else is making and it adopts them and emulates them as its own. That's emotional contagion. The fourth way that the brain turns sounds into emotions is a process called visual imagery. This is when the brain takes sounds that it's hearing and it activates the imagination. So this is similar to evaluative conditioning in the, but unique in that it doesn't have to be connected to a real, actual experience. It can be something that's imagined entirely. Uh, I remember when Allie and I were dating, um, she and her roommate Sarah had this CD player in their kitchen. Um, college students, a CD player is uh, something ancient that played music way back when I was a kid. Okay? 
So she had the CD player in her kitchen, and one of the things that they played most often while they were cooking was this uh, CD of Italian dinner music. Now, I've never been to Italy in my entire life, um, but as I was uh, there in the kitchen with her and she's cooking pasta and playing this music, my brain would imagine us in Tuscany eating our uh, linguine by a villa on the patio, right? It's an imagined experience that is uh, brought about by a sound. If you listen to classical music, you can close your eyes and picture yourself in a theater. You can see the orchestra playing. If you're listening to nature sounds in your earbuds, you can lay down for a nap, and as you close your eyes, you can picture walking down a beautiful nature trail, and you can hear those sounds and, and see those things in your mind's eye. All of these imagined experiences are brought about through sounds. Closely related is the fifth process, which is called episodic memory. And these are times when sounds sparks, spark specific strong memories of times. So like, for example, when I hear reggaeton music, it reminds me of being at my grandparents' house growing up. The sound of fireworks might trigger PTSD in people who have been in combat. So these are episodic memories. And then finally, there is the final process, which is called music expectancy. Music is the um, international language, of course. We're all um, wired to be musical. And this then relates to how our brains have been conditioned to interpret music. When you think about it, music is nothing more than just a random collection of sounds, right? But our brains expect that those sounds are going to fit in particular patterns, that those sounds are going to fit together in certain ways. Our brains expect that there's going to be a rhythm. Our brains expect that those sounds are going to form a specific grouping. And so, when we listen to music that fits our expectations, it elicits a positive emotional response. But when you listen to country music, the brain interprets it as garbage. That's how it works. I'm kidding, okay? I know that lots of people love country music. They're called deaf people. Kidding again. But, speaking of deaf people, this field of study demonstrates one of the challenges that the deaf community faces, and that's the inability to bundle together the emotions and the sounds. So for someone who's deaf, a nature walk may still be very beautiful, but the lack of audio ambiance means a different type of emotional trigger. So the point of all this is that sound is incredibly powerful. Sound connects us in the moment to things that are beyond ourselves. Sound connects us to others. Sound connects us to memories, to stories, to feelings, to emotions. And, most significantly, sound can connect us to God. We've spent the last month or so going through Leviticus 23, where God lists for the Israelites all of the appointed times for them to stop and celebrate feasts unto the Lord. And while some of those feasts are very straightforward, things like Passover, others can seem a bit more confusing. So, uh, we'll look at one particular today in Leviticus chapter 23, verses 23 through 25. 
If you don't have a Bible, the words will be behind me on the screen. Leviticus 23, 23-25 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. I know what some of you may be thinking. Sweet Jesus, how is this man going to preach for an hour on that? Well, I get it. At first, this feast seems kind of whatever, right? Three verses, nothing special, and uh, this bit about blasting trumpets, which to some might sound wonderful. Others may sound terrible. So what's the deal here? What's going on? Well, as we're going to see, it turns out that there's some pretty awesome stuff at work for the Israelites and some pretty amazing things for us. So why are these trumpets important? Why did God specifically command a feast every year with trumpet blasts? Is God just a fan of jazz? Or could there be more going on? Obviously, there is. So, let's see. The first point, if you're taking notes, is this. The trumpets signal the fearsome power of God's presence. Trumpets signal the fearsome power of God's presence. We've talked before about how each one of these feasts serves as a reminder. They are part of this regular rhythm, meant to call to mind a story. They are spiritual recalibrations, built into the calendar on purpose, meant to recenter people's hearts, recenter their focus, lest they forget. Because we know people forget. I, probably more than others, but all of us forget. So God gives these reminders to Israel. He says, set these in your calendar and these things will bring your heart back to the story. Do you remember when I brought you out of Egypt? Well, the Passover is a reminder. Do you remember when I brought you into this land flowing with milk and honey? Well, you have now rich crops and lands, and the Feast of first fruits is your reminder. Do you remember when I promised you my presence? Pentecost is a reminder. And so, one of the things that we saw in this passage is in verse 24 where it says, you shall observe a solemn day, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. So verse 24 tells us that this is a memorial. And what is a memorial? A memorial is something that causes you to remember something, something that brings something to your memory. It literally means when you see this thing, when you experience this thing, it's going to cause you to remember some specific event. And this particular memorial is proclaimed with blasts of trumpets. So what is the Feast of Trumpets a memorial of? Well, as we shall see now, it is a memorial of the fearsome power of the presence of God. So let's turn to Exodus. Exodus chapter 19. 
We've looked at this section of scripture a, a number of times over the last several weeks. Um, and so here we are with the people of Israel at Mount Sinai. God is meeting the people there at Mount Sinai, and they are there to enter into the covenant with him. This, as we talked about before, is the birth of Judaism. This is where we see the Mosaic Covenant. This is where God promises his presence to the people. This is where God marries the people. And what we see here is that one of the key signals of his presence is a powerful auditory torch. And that is the sound of trumpets. So let's look at Exodus 19, verses 10 through 20. Exodus 19, verses 10 through 20. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke. And God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. Now let's look in chapter 20 at verses 18 through 20. This is right after God hands down the, the Ten Commandments. And it says, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet, and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you. That the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. This is an incredible scene, a sensory overload. There's a lot going on. And one of the things that's happening here are these deafening trumpet blasts. Unmistakable, loud trumpets growing louder and louder, causing things to shake. Who is blowing these trumpets? The host of heaven. And again, chapter 20, verse 19 says that these trumpet blasts are getting louder and louder and louder. And the ground is shaking. 
and fire and smoke are rising up like a kiln. And God speaks with thunder. Okay, the, the people's eardrums are overpowered in this moment. Have you ever gone to a concert and stood right next to one of the giant speakers? Anyone ever done that before? I have done that. It's an amazing experience. Everything is shaking, right? It is completely wild. You literally feel the sound when you're standing there. The bass hits and everything just shakes, right? Like if you've ever watched someone playing a, a guitar, when they strum that guitar string, the guitar string is just vibrating like crazy. When you're at a concert and you're standing next to one of the speakers, you feel like one of those guitar strings, right? Your entire body just trembles and vibrates as the sound hits you. And it doesn't matter how loud you scream, no one can hear you, okay? The person next to you cannot hear what you're saying and everyone is going deaf, right? Your entire self just vibrates. That is what these people are experiencing in this moment. The sensory overload of the power of the presence of God. And this sensory overload, it says, makes them absolutely tremble. Literally and figuratively. Trembling in fear. But then there's an added clue that's given to us. This clue is given to us to tell us why God is giving them this sensory overload. This is found in chapter 20, verse 20. God overwhelms the people with his presence because it calls them to holiness. Take a look. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. So what was it that made them so afraid? What was it that made them afraid? Well, it says in verse 18, When the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, they're afraid. Sensory overload. Sights, sounds, feelings. Everything is shaking and vibrating and overloading. And in this experience, the people tremble. And Moses says, the reason why God is overloading your senses with his presence is so that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. And so God displays his presence to, this, to the people in this fearsome, loud event. And he does so in order to keep them from sin. Because when they're standing there, facing the storm, literal storm of God's presence, there isn't going to be anything that's powerful enough to steal their attention. The trumpets and the thunder were louder than any form of temptation. The trumpets drowned out anything worldly. Let me say that again. The trumpets drowned out anything worldly. Now, watch what happens next, okay? After this, Moses comes down from the mountain. God hands him the law. Moses comes down from the mountain, and he tells the people the terms of the covenant. 
And as we looked at last week in chapter 24, the people agree to the terms of the covenant. Right after this, God calls Moses and Joshua and the 70 elders of Israel to approach the mountain, to climb up the mountain into his presence. This is in the second half of chapter 24. Right after this, he calls Moses and Joshua to go up further by themselves. And the 70 elders sort of remain on this middle ground on the mountain. This is in verse 14 of chapter 24, where it says, He said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. Behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go up to them. And so they wait there in this middle ground. Moses goes up by himself, and they are waiting for Moses to return. Meanwhile, the people are by themselves at the foot of the mountain. And nearly six weeks passes by. Okay, so they've already gotten that first stage, the trumpet blast, the thunder, the lightning, all that. They receive the law. They say, yes, we agree. Then the next scene, they stay. Moses goes up. And he's up there for 40 days and 40 nights. Nearly six weeks passes. And in those six weeks, no more trumpets, no more earthquakes, no more sensory overload. And left to their own devices, as they stand at the foot of the mountain and shrug and go, we don't really know what happened to Moses. There, they decide that they're going to craft Yahweh into something that they can control. Remember, as we've talked about before, they weren't inventing a new god with the golden calf. They were trying to change the real god into something that they could manage. Something that isn't fearsome. Something that doesn't force them to be holy. Something that they could worship on their own terms. Something that they could worship in the same way that the pagans do. With drunkenness and orgies and rituals. There is nothing about the golden calf that demands anything from them. Nothing. This golden calf in chapter 32 is nothing more than a mascot. A mascot that they can parade around as they please. In chapters 19 and 20, they stand at the foot of the mountain and they hear deafening trumpet blast as the ground shakes and the sky fills with fire and smoke. In chapter 32, the only noise is their own. They control the volume. They decide how loud they want to shout, how high they want to turn up the music. And what does it lead to? Idolatry. It leads to worshiping themselves. When there's nothing to drown out the flesh, you will listen to its voice every time. When there is nothing to drown out the flesh, you will listen to it every time. That is why God used trumpets. Because these trumpets are something that is beyond their control. These trumpets are a signal. The trumpets cannot be drowned out. The trumpets say, God is here, and God is calling me to holiness. God is calling me to be without sin. Remember, those were the words at the end of chapter 20, or I'm sorry, in the middle of chapter 20. 
Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. All of this stuff is that God is bringing the fear of himself before you, that you may not sin. God is here, and he's calling me to holiness. That is what the sound of the trumpets means. That brings us back then to the Feast of Trumpets. All the ways that we talked about in the beginning, about how the brain turns sounds into emotions, now come into play, right? What do you think the people felt? What do you think the people of Israel felt when they would hear trumpets? Well, their brains would then begin to use that evaluative conditioning. They would connect those sounds to Sinai. Their brains would use visual imagery. When they heard the trumpets, they would close their eyes and imagine themselves back at the foot of the mountain. Or, if that didn't happen during their lifetime, if they were too young to have actually been there, and this was something that their ancestors were passing down to them, they would have taken all the stories that their forefathers told, and they would have imagined those things when they hear the trumpets. Because their, their ancestors would have told them what it was like to be at Sinai. They would have shared with them how it felt, what it sounded like, how the trumpets made them tremble. And those stories would be passed down, and so the subsequent generations would hear the sound of trumpets, and they'd imagine what Grandpa said. They'd imagine that picture that was described to them from the people that was there. They would hear those trumpets, and an emotional response would come with that sound. It would make them feel small. It would humble them. That sound would elicit a response that they immediately realized they were being called to holiness. They would hear that sound, and they would say, God is here, and he's calling me to holiness. That's why... In Leviticus 23, the Feast of Trumpets is meant to be a solemn, holy convocation. Reading again from Leviticus 23, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with blast of trumpets, a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work, and you shall present a food offering to the Lord. The Feast of Trumpets is to be a solemn, holy convocation because it's meant to check you. It's meant to make you stop and think. It's meant to be a pause where you stop and you listen where you consider the holiness that God is calling you to, where you consider if there might be anything in your heart that is standing in the way of that. The sound of the trumpet is an audible call to repentance in the presence of a powerful God. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about um, what's listed next in Leviticus 23, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. Um, now, I didn't originally intend for the order to go in the way that it's going to go, uh, but then I got really sick and we had to cancel church one week, and so I had to kind of switch the order of things around a little bit. 
I wanted to do Yom Kippur next, after the Feast of Trumpets, because that makes the most logical sense. But the, for, the, the switch forced me to, to do Yom Kippur for Easter Sunday. But for our purposes now, the Feast of Trumpets leads to the Day of Atonement. Okay, the Feast of Trumpets was 10 days before the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement was the most solemn, holy day of the entire year for the Jews. It was the most important religious observance, period. This is the day in which the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies one time a year. And there he would make atonement for the sins of the people. So before that was to happen was the Feast of Trumpets. Ten days before. And so the trumpets would blast, and those trumpets were a signal. Now's the time to start preparing our hearts for the Day of Atonement. Now's the time that we start preparing our hearts to repent. And so they would spend ten days evaluating everything in their lives. Examining their hearts. Repenting of their sin. Examining the relationships that they were in. Seeing if there were any things that they were standing in sin with before God. So that they could repent and remove those things so that on the Day of Atonement they could stand ready for the sacrifice to be made on their behalf. And so the sound of the trumpets was a call to repent. Also, the next thing that we see here is that the sound of the trumpet was a call to rest. Did you notice that in verse 24 it says that this is to be a day of solemn rest? Speak to the people of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest. Now, I don't know about you. When I am trying to rest, trumpets are not my first choice, right? If I'm trying to lay down and take a nap, not the time for trumpet blasts. Not what I would choose. So what does this mean? Well, the sound of the trumpets causes them to rest because, again, what we're talking about here is that the trumpets are a powerful sign of the presence of God. God is here. And what does that mean if God is here? That means I can rest. I can trust. I don't have to strive because God is here. I don't have to work for sustenance because God is here. I don't have to be worried. I don't have to be anxious because God is here. The trumpets say rest because God is here. So the trumpets called the people to remember. It caused their minds to picture. It created these emotional connections from the sound to the feeling. When I hear this sound, I know that the powerful presence of God is here, and I need to be holy. I need to repent, and I need to rest. That's what the Feast of Trumpets meant to them. Point number two, the trumpets signal a new beginning. The trumpets signal a new beginning. This second point will be more brief. But I think it's also pretty incredible because it points us forward as much as it grounds us in 
what we do now. So far, what we've covered in this series are the feasts that take place in the spring. Up to this point, every feast that we've been talking about is in the spring season. Then, afterwards, there are three fall feasts. Three feasts in the fall, the first of which is the Feast of Trumpets. It is the first feast in the fall. And significantly, the Feast of Trumpets also goes by another name, which signals it as the beginning of the Jewish New Year. The Feast of Trumpets is also called Rosh Hashanah. You might have seen that in your calendar, right? It's, it's listed on, on every major calendar. And Rosh Hashanah means the head of the year, or the beginning of the year. So Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, is the beginning of the Jewish civil calendar. And again, this day is significant because it starts that 10-day period that leads up to the most holy day of the year, Yom Kippur. So the, the year starts in preparation for the Most Holy Day. Ten days leading up to Yom Kippur. So, these people used the trumpet blast not only to cleanse themselves of the past, but also to look forward to what is coming. When we look at the ways that the feasts have been fulfilled, and I hope that you have seen that these are fascinating fulfillments that go from the Old Testament to the New, most Messianic scholars believe that the spring feast in the Jewish calendar have already been fulfilled, right? That's what we've been seeing so far in this series. Jesus fulfilled the Passover by being the Passover lamb. His body was the unleavened bread. He was the first fruits of the resurrection. He sent his indwelling at Pentecost. These were the fulfillments of all the feasts in the spring. So then what about the fall feasts? Well, those same scholars would say that the fall feasts have not been uh, fulfilled yet, but will be fulfilled in the second coming of Christ, in his millennial reign, in his final judgment. And the first of those fulfillments is found in the Feast of Trumpets. In the church, we have this event that we refer to as the rapture, right? Some of us have read the Left Behind series or watched one of the two movies I think they actually made before it got canceled. Um, some churches focus all of their attention on the end times and speak about literally nothing else. Um, we have uh, covered before that that is not how we approach things, but the end times are important. Okay, Revelation has a purpose. The, the future is something we ought to be looking forward to and aware. We're commanded to live with the future in mind. And so we have this event that we refer to as a rapture. This is when Christians will be called up to heaven, when the first resurrection takes place. And in the New Testament, we find an interesting detail in the accounts of the rapture. So the first is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verses 50 through 55, the Apostle Paul speaking here says this, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. 
For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, when the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying it is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The detail that I'm sure you noticed is that in that event, the signal that is given is called the last trumpet. At the sound of the trumpet, he says, the mortal will put on the immortal. The purpose of this right now is not to give an overview or a detailed look at this is exactly how the rapture is going to happen. This is when the rapture is going to happen. Again, we're not going to pull out our prophecy charts and get obsessed with things that we don't know about. But we are told here that one of the signals of whatever the end times is going to look like is the trumpet announcing the presence of God. When God came down the mountain in Exodus, he announced it with a trumpet. And when God comes back again, a trumpet blast will proclaim his entrance yet again. Another uh, passage that we'll look at here briefly is in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, um, if you have any trouble finding that, it is located right before 2 Thessalonians in your Bibles. So there's your tip for the day as I'm sitting here trying to get to it. <laughs> 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. Apostle Paul speaking again. Says this. So let, me, let me back up um, to verse 13, actually. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so, Paul tells his people on more than one occasion, wait for the trumpets. Wait for the trumpets. He says, encourage one another with the hope of the sound of the trumpets. Because when the trumpets blast, Jesus is coming back. And he's taking us with him. Again, whatever that looks like, however he accomplishes that, our hope is going to be signaled with a loud sound of the final trumpet blast. The same auditory signal that was given to the Israelites at the foot of Mount Sinai will be given to the church. And it's saying, God is here. The trumpets will announce the presence of God. So for us, when we look at these things, the Feast of Trumpets calls us to repentance, calls us to self-examination as we wait for that final trumpet blast. So let's make it practical, shall we? 
How do we listen to the trumpets? How do I today listen to auditory signals that will cause me to know that God is here? What are our trumpet sounds? The first, I would say, is worship music. Okay, these are songs that are written in order to connect our hearts to God. It is important to fill our minds with truth. It's important to fill our minds with sounds that will connect us to particular emotions. That's why worship is so important. When I was uh, talking to Grace about being our worship leader, one of the conversations that we had, I was telling her that there's a difference, of course, between a worship leader and a performer. Anyone with sufficient talent can get on stage and perform, right? It's about playing the right notes and singing the right way. But a worship leader is not a performer. Because the the job of a worship leader is to do what? To usher people into the presence of God by using music. The universal language that when 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 our ears hear, it connects to our hearts. And that emotional response is triggered to bring us that feeling of God is here. He is among us, and that calls me to particular things. So throughout your week, be listening to worship music. It's good for you. It is good for your heart. Fill your ears with that. The second thing is hearing the word out loud. Okay, All of us, I've said, over and over and over, and we'll continue to say every single week, need to be in the Word consistently. We need to be feeding ourselves with the Word of God. But perhaps something that's not emphasized frequently enough is that we shouldn't just be reading the Word, we should also be hearing the Word out loud. Because again, this is something that our brains need in order to connect us at a deeper level. We need to hear the Word of God out loud. Perhaps as you are reading, I sometimes do this, perhaps as you're reading the Bible, your brain starts to fade into your to-do list and your things that have to get done and, and, and distractions of the day, and then you get five lines down and you can't even remember what you just looked at over the last paragraph, right? I've been there. So what, what's one of the ways that I can combat that? I start reading it to myself out loud. It's a whole lot harder for my mind to wander when I'm reading it out loud. God designed our hearts, our our, our brains, to function in that way. We need to be hearing the Word. It's also important to hear the Word from others. That's one of the reasons why the church is so important, because here we hear the Word. But it shouldn't just be here on a Sunday that you hear the Word. Find ways to hear the Word consistently. One of my favorites is called the Streetlights Bible. You can find it on iTunes, um, on YouTube, on on various other platforms. And literally all that it is, is it's somebody reading the Bible out loud on a hip-hop beat. I love it. So you start a track in 1 Thessalonians 1, and a hip-hop beat will start, and a guy will start reading the Word. I love it. Easy listening. Put it on in the car, put it on while I'm doing chores at work. It's a great way for the Word to be implanted into my brain and stay there, stick there, connect with emotional experiences. We need to be hearing the Word out loud often. Another way that we need to hear the trumpets is through prayer. Prayer 
out loud. Okay? People need to hear you pray. You need to hear other people pray. God has put us in a community, in a body, and one of the things that we do is serve one another through our prayers, praying with each other and for each other. And so I know that there's a lot of fear that a lot of people have, nervousness about praying out loud in front of other people. It makes us scared. It makes us nervous. But we need to understand that it's not a performance. I'm not performing for you when, when I pray. I'm not trying to impress you with anything when I pray out loud. I am connecting my heart to God, and I'm bringing you with me. That's an act of service to your brother and to your sister. We are called to serve one another in that way. Over and over and over, when we find examples of, of prayer in Scripture, it's happening in a group of people out loud, praying together. Do not be afraid to pray out loud with your brothers and sisters because they need it from you. You need it from them. Your family needs to hear you pray. Husbands, your wife needs to hear you pray. Your kids need to hear you pray. Wives, your husband needs to hear you pray. I love hearing my wife pray. Our kids need to hear her pray. We're built as a unit and we must be praying together. The church has ways in which we do this. I started uh, one like a, a few months ago called the captain's meeting. Every Monday night, show up, okay? Show up. Don't make an excuse. It's important. It's not just something to check off a list, all right? I didn't just put this on a calendar on a Monday and be like, hey, whoever feels like coming. Guys, listen, we need this. We need to be a praying church where the men of this church who are elders to lead are praying for each other and with each other out loud to God, inviting one another into those prayers. I need that from you. You need that from each other. We need this as a family. Show up on Monday, men, and pray. Romans 10, 17 is very clear where it says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. And I know that fundamentally that means to be passing along a message. Okay, the deaf are not discounted because they can't hear it. That's not what it means. But all the stuff that we've been talking about, the way that God designed our brains to work, we need to hear the Word of God. We need to hear the truth of God. We need to hear the prayers of His people. We need to hear worship. We need to hear good preaching. We need to hear the words that are spoken in, in relationships with one another where we speak truth out loud to each other. These are our trumpet blasts. The trumpet blasts that say, God is here. God is is among us. The presence of God is here calling us to holiness. The presence of God is here calling us to repent. So to make it practical, this week, I want you to find ways to adopt audible faith habits. The audible sounds that you take in and the audible sounds that you make 
I want you to make your faith walk out loud this week. Do not be afraid. Do not fear. Do not be nervous about what others will think. I can promise you that what others will think is, man, it is so cool to hear so-and-so pray. I love it. They will be blessed by that. Do you want to bless me as your pastor? This is where you say yes. But I need to hear you say yes. <laughs> then I need to hear you pray. We need to worship together. When, when Grace is up here rocking it out, let's let her hear us singing, right? Let's sing together the praises of the Lord. Let's make our trumpet blast to announce to ourselves and to each other the powerful presence of God. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for designing us in this way. Thank you for making us in, in, in this way that we hear. And that hearing leads us to have faith. That we hear the word of Christ and it affects our hearts, it affects our minds, it affects the way that we live. God, I pray that each one of us would be filled with boldness. Boldness to be out loud, to be audible, that we would be blessed by that in others, that we would do this act of service for each other, that we would announce to one another, proclaim to one another. The purpose of these feasts, Lord, was to proclaim to each other at appointed times what your story of redemption is. And God, I thank you for commanding us here to do it out loud. Lord, I pray that you would uh, give us opportunities to have conversations with people this week, that, that you would give us opportunities to connect with members of our oikos. God, that you would unite us together in prayer, in worship. God, that you would focus our hearts upward, focus our minds upward, knowing that as we do that, the sound of the trumpets will drown out the world. God, every single one of us is struggling every day with all of these dissonant voices in our minds. Every single one of us is struggling with temptations, with fears, with doubts. Every one of us is weighed down by all the different directions that we're being pulled in. Lord, I pray that you would drown all of that out with the trumpet sounds this week. Let us be committed to drowning it out with the trumpets. Show us ways to do that. Now, Lord, as we sing out loud this closing song of worship, I pray that it would be an act of service to each other and most of all, a gift out loud to you. That as these trumpets blast, you would hear hearts praising your beautiful, glorious name. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand, we will close in audible worship.
Right. So, before you leave, make sure you pick up a bunch of these. Give them to literally everyone. When I went and printed these off, um, the lady who was uh, working at CVS where I printed these uh, took a look at them and said, hey, these are really cool. And I said, why don't you keep one? I'd love for you to join me for Easter service. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel with your oikos. This is a simple, easy, no risk. It doesn't matter if, if they say no, you're called to be faithful, okay? And again, more people are likely to say yes at Easter than at any time in the year. So grab a bunch of these, invite your oikos, invite anyone who have an opportunity uh, to, to talk with. So carry these with you throughout the next two weeks. Over the course of this week, find ways to make your faith audible in the sounds that you make and in the sounds that you take in. And God will meet us in those trumpet blasts. I promise you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your church. Thank you for what you are building. Thank you for what you are doing. I pray that you'd help us to live our faith out loud in audible ways this week. That we would be blessed by the sounds of worship. Blessed by the sounds of prayer. That we'll serve others with the sounds of the words that we speak to you and to each other. Give us opportunities to connect with people who don't know you. Opportunities to plant gospel seeds. Fill our hearts with a passion to see the kingdom advance. And let us be ready to do whatever part you call us to play in your story of redemption. God, thank you for encouraging and equipping us to go and live out the gospel every single day. 
And I pray now that we would go and do exactly that. Lord, help us to remember that the mission starts after church. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.